1: Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program committed to answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever is on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 6305757. You can email a question to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, then the easiest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. And with the hands-free feature of your phone, just one button. Call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. A quick reminder, tomorrow will be uh, the day day edition of the program. And Paula, I was just informed, has invited some of the ladies from the women's retreat. That's always a neat show as they share sort of what um, God... Did in their hearts, in their lives uh, while at the retreat, so I don't know how many for sure are going to be here but uh, it's always a great program so tune in tomorrow and ladies especially if you have any questions uh, we'd love to have you call on the program as well. Tonight tonight I get it sounds so down but it's really not great Bible studies but uh, tonight I, I start the chapter that's the problem No, not a problem, the problem. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. And uh, tonight I'm only going to do the first seven verses. Uh, But it is, uh, it's really why the world that we live in is in the mess that it's in. And I think there's a lot. I think this is a very important study. And it will be followed by another important one next week to try to finish the chapter. But that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at CalvarySA.com, Or you can... Join us. We're always, uh, we've are always we always got room on Wednesday nights, uh, 7 o'clock. We have child care available, and when I say child care, your kids will be taught the Bible as well, and we would love to have you. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. The first one is from our mobile app, this one from Kirby. Uh, could you explain the parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29? Is Jesus explaining the age of the church from after he ascends into heaven until the rapture. Uh, Kirby, he's not doing that. Let me explain the parable uh, as best I can, and we'll sort of get to, um, I hope, what answers your question. Uh, this is a parable, by the way, that's unique. It is peculiar only to Mark's gospel. Um, this is the only parable not mentioned by any of the other gospel accounts of the parables Jesus told. Um I think that's recent. Let me read the verses. 26 says, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grape is ripe, he he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest is, has come Now, um, Kirby, I wish every church growth expert, everybody who thinks that they know how to make their church grow, I wish that they'd read this parable. You see, this is about our inability to make anything grow on our own or using our own marketing techniques. Any type of church growth that is man-made is not church growth that occurs at the hand of God. Now that's what Mark, and remember Mark's gospel is Peter's account. In the first century church, Kirby Acts says that God added daily to the church those who are being saved. The emphasis there on God added, not man added, not programs added, not culturally relevant growth addition. This parable is about, and this is the only purpose of it, this parable is about the work God is doing in his church. And it's clear that he doesn't need our help. Not only is there nothing that we can do to make it grow, we can't even explain how it grows. This is fascinating to me personally because in our nearly 25 years here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, we've not spent one minute or one dime trying to figure out how to make our church grow. We've not tried to be culturally relevant. I certainly don't have the style that says we can all tell stories and make people feel really good about themselves. Um, God planted this church. God alone makes it grow. Our responsibility for the church community is to be in the will of God, and then we can't miss out on the growth, whatever it's going to be. You know, we've planted a whole bunch of churches out of a little church in a strip mall center. And we got a lot of people, but we're in a little tiny place, and people come in there and they shake their head, this isn't what I was expecting. So that's really important. This is about the work that God is going to do in the life of the church is done by God himself. The church belongs to Jesus. We are responsible only to serve him. We have to do things His way. We have to do it on His terms. And Kirby, when we do that, then there is going to be growth. Now, not all of the growth is numerical. Uh, God has a blueprint for every church. Now, not every church obviously falls into that blueprint. But if we'll do what God says, then we'll be in the place where we're actually bringing the most glory to God our vision from the Lord has not been to be a a mega church Um, believe me I would love a big building I think we'd fill it up Uh, I I would love to be able to have comfortable things like other churches do but the Lord told me a long time ago Kirby he said that this is my church and my money is going to be used for ministry not for mortgage now, when he told me that all those years ago, I didn't think we'd be in the same place for so long. I thought, well, naturally we have to grow. But we also wouldn't have planted 32 churches. We planted 32 churches out of this church location. That was God's plan for us. It was God's plan for us to have a free school. Believe me, the money I spent on a free school, it was God's plan for, for uh, us to have a free doctor's office. It was God's plan for have, for us to have uh, what we call man house It's a home for women who are really struggling in different circumstances. And if we didn't have all those things for free, I could have built the biggest building in San Antonio. But that wasn't his plan. And if it was Pastor Ron's plan and I pursued that, then I would have ceased to be a servant of God. I think it's interesting, Kirby, that this parable is followed in the gospel of Mark by the parable of the mustard seed planted in the ground the mustard seed, the smallest seed that we can plant in the ground and yet when it's planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants Jesus says with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade that's not natural growth God is saying this is a church that I never planted I gave it life, but but look what they've done, they've they've taken this vision I have for the church and turned it into something unnatural, birds in uh, the parables are always evil. And what that means is that through these marketing techniques and church growth programs, we're so focused on what we look like to other people with these church marketing and church growth programs. Jesus said, you know, yeah, you're going to get big there's going to be a lot of birds sitting in the branches of my church. And that's never what God intended. So Kirby, thank you for the question. I have, uh, that's probably because it's a parable that's not mentioned in any of the other gospel accounts. Uh, it is a, um, uh, a parable that, uh, it's easy to forget about it being there, but it's an important one. Got a caller. Let's look, we got John calling from Cibolo. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. How are you today? I'm doing really well, John. It's finally warming up for me. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I again have two questions for you. Uh the first one I can't find a reason why uh the tribe of Manassa split, why they had east and west. Does the Bible tell us why? And my second question is a little more difficult, probably, but I would Mm -hmm. like your opinion on uh, Dr. Joyce Myers. I would have to say I have a very low opinion of her and really worry about people that listen to her, but am I wrong to feel that way? Yeah, Good good questions, John. Let me do the first one first, uh, because... Uh, I want to be really careful about how I speak about Joyce Myers. Um, uh, The half-tribe Manasseh, uh, and this is a, a great picture of the church culture that we live in, why the tribe split was because simply one half of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was a tribe of fierce fighters. Half of the tribe was willing to settle for less than God's best. That's why the tribe split. Half of the tribe went into the promised land. The other uh, half tribe, along with uh, the, the other tribes that, that settled on the east side of the Jordan, uh, they were willing to settle for less than what God wanted for them. You know, they, they looked at the ground. They were, they were farmers, animal um, herdsmen, and they thought this land is perfect for us. We want to stay here without ever considering what God had for them. Let me tell you why that's so sad. It's sad because I see for all these years, John, I watch people who are content with way less than God's best. And they don't want to push it, you know, they don't want to make any sacrifices, they don't want to take a step out in faith. And so they just kind of sit around. Now they're going to be in heaven. But their rewards. Like the servant, you know, who who buried his treasure or or his talent in the ground and and uh, when the the master returned he said well i heard you a hard man there are people that just don't want to walk by faith people that don't want to take chances and in this particular case john um they just were willing to settle for less imagine for a moment from the time you were born if you were a jew during the time of the exodus or before the the time in captivity in Egypt, the only thing that you dreamed about, the stories that you heard about your entire life were stories about a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the land that God promised. One day we're going to inherit that land. Imagine finally getting to the place where all you have to do is cross the Jordan River and deciding, nah, I like it over here. It's certainly out of the will of God, John. So that's the, the answer to that question. With regard to Joyce Myers, let me say this, John, I'm hopeful. Um, I'll explain why in a moment. Um, by and large, almost all of Joyce Myers' teaching is false teaching. Uh, it's not the gospel according to to uh, Jesus. It's not the gospel according to uh, any of our writers of the New Testament uh, it is uh, health and wealth, name it and claim it. Um, God will heal you if you have enough faith, and he'll make you rich if you give. Uh, when I actually heard Joyce Meyer one time pull out a, 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 a figurative billfold. She's talking to men primarily, and she said, you can save this billfold, you big old fat billfold, even if there's no money, you can name it and claim it. And, and, and her teaching has been horribly, damaging. She fosters, or as in the past, fostered a spirit of uh, independence, women from men, instead of teaching women to submit to men in church and at the home. Um, it, it seems like most of that prosperity teaching appeals to our carnal nature. That's why they're so popular. And she has been one of the biggest proponents of that false gospel. She's also John made a fortune an absolute fortune off the backs of God's people now having said that here's why I'm hopeful last year and I don't remember exactly when but it was sometime mid-year Joyce Meyer on YouTube issued a statement that says that she may have been guilty of overemphasizing the prosperity gospel. And it seems like from that time she's at least making an effort to be more balanced in her teaching. She is a wonderfully gifted communicator. That's what makes the false message even more dangerous, John. But um, I think our hope, and this is where we need to pray. You asked if you were wrong for feeling that way. Um, we're we're supposed to call out false teachers, we're to protect the flock, but here's what we ought to be doing for them the whole time we're calling them out, and that's praying for them. And I'm certain that there have been a whole bunch of people praying for Joyce Meyer, and, and if she's taken that step toward repentance. And honestly, I haven't followed any of her latest teachings, so I don't know how she's doing but at one point in time the Holy Spirit was there saying, you know what you know this is nonsense and she repented publicly for it, so my, uh, my hope is that she uses that gift from God uh, to win people to the real God I pray that she your repentance remains uh, in place and that she walks in a healthy fear of God and uh I hope and pray John that she will um be powerfully used by the Lord as one who might be who is truly repentant and willing to say to people look I was wrong I'm sorry for misleading you. So that's my hope but John uh your your discernment is spot on because her teachings in the past the things that um I've heard her say um watching her myself um infuriated me and I just see a lot of people getting hurt she's very popular, women love her and uh, I think that's that's a, a, a difficult issue so John thank you very very much for the question And uh, maybe you and I can join together if two of you agree on anything God will hear and answer the prayer maybe you and I can agree that Joyce Meyer will become somebody who is fruitful um, for the glory of God Here is a question, I tried to get to this one yesterday, but I knew I didn't have time when it came up, so it's an anonymous question, Um, it's a challenging question, why are people in your religion judged for having sexual desires they have no control over, is celibacy even possible, have you ever asked someone to leave your church because they were gay, and finally, if a woman is a baby out of wedlock, is a baby cursed according to your religion. Uh, anonymous I can hear the the, the um, anger, it's, it's based on misunderstanding um, who we are and what we believe, um, but I, I hear the pain in your heart. Um, let me answer your questions one by one. Um, we don't judge anyone for having sexual desires. You're right, we have no control over that, I know a lot of people with same-sex attraction And and they are fighting it with all of their strength, with the strength of God. And we applaud them for that. What we judge, and we're commanded in Scripture to judge, we're commanded when they act out on those desires. Now, you're clearly talking about homosexuality here. And God, who makes the rules, Anonymous, remember that you don't get to make them and I don't get to make them. God, who makes the rules, says that's a sin. And it's a kind of sin that hardens our hearts. So we don't judge them, but when they give in, and in this particular case with homosexuality, they're not going to stop until Christians stop saying that it's sinful behavior. But it is. And they do have control, not over the feelings, but they have control over what they do with those feelings. And God asks us, in order to come to Him, He asks us to agree with Him. So if somebody is having um, attraction for somebody of the same gender, they've got to decide, do I choose to fulfill my flesh? Do I go after this person, or do I choose to serve God? And it's that simple, anonymous, you're going to make a choice. Uh, you asked if celibacy is possible. God will give the gift of celibacy to anybody who who is single and seeks it. The Apostle Paul had the gift of celibacy. He said, I wish you all were as I am. And so, yeah, we can be celibate. And if we're single, we need to be celibate. So keep that in mind. Uh, We've never had to ask someone to leave our church because they were gay. In fact, we would not do that. We would invite them in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so they could surrender their heart to Jesus But if somebody was in our church and they heard the word of God and they continued to live in open, willful, sexual sin and by the way, Anonymous, this is true for people who uh, live together in heterosexual relationships apart from marriage. Uh, If they won't listen to God, if they won't be corrected then um, we've had to ask them to leave the church. Why? Because it's dangerous for them. To hang around the church and figure it's okay and to sort of flaunt God with your sexuality is a really dangerous place to be. So um, we would never ask somebody to leave because they were gay. Uh, if somebody came in, they were professing Christian, and they were practicing homosexuality and they refused to stop, then we would ask them to leave the church. Uh, Because we love them, not because we don't love them, but just the opposite, because we do. Your last question was, if a woman is a baby out of wedlock, is the baby cursed according to your religion? Uh, I'm thinking of a a baby boy in our church who was born, and and of course we've had more than just this one, but uh, one of the godliest young women I've ever known. Um, Had a boyfriend who was a Christian. Um... They didn't guard themselves. She ended up pregnant. This was a young woman who had very, a very public ministry here at the church, and her little baby boy, who is now, I think, two years old, has been one of the great blessings in the history of our church. Remember, the baby doesn't do anything wrong. And in this particular instance that I'm talking about, this young woman. As soon as she came to tell me that she was pregnant, she repented. She knew what she'd done was wrong. She knew there was no excuse. And even when there were other people in the church that tried to tell her, oh, it's okay, it's not that big a deal, and the baby will be such a blessing, she would solve them and say, no, what I did was a sin against God. God forgave her. And this little baby boy is, I can see his smile. He comes into my office for M&M's when church is over. So no, the baby's not cursed, not according to the Word of God, not according to the words of Jesus himself. No, the baby is always a gift. And when a baby is born, life gets better. That's not why we have sex. It's just that the gift of a baby is a bonus for doing things right. Even though this young woman sent anonymous, she immediately got right with God. He knew her heart. And the result is not only a blessed mom and baby, but a wonderful marriage with the man who through this whole process really and truly gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and it's been wonderful to watch. So I hope that. God does not curse children born out of wedlock period. Hope that makes sense to you. I have another challenging question. I'll have to wait to till the other side of the break. How are we doing on time? We're in just one minute. Uh, remember uh, tomorrow uh, date edition program, Paula will have some ladies who will be live um, discussing their recent retreat last weekend in fact. And uh, every time we do that program after the women's retreat, it's always a blessing. So that will be uh, on the program tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So we'll look forward to that. You are listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We have 30 minutes left in the program. Love your calls, three four zero ninety five eighty five toll-free eight seven seven six three KSLR got a question for pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life you can send it to him via email at pastor KSLR at gmail.com that's pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com Ready for
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of the show, Three four We'd love your live calls. Here is another challenging, critical question, another anonymous one. I think men are hypocrites to judge gay people when men are committing fornication or watching pornography. Why is one okay and not the other? You will probably side with the men. Anonymous, you don't know me at all. See, you just judged me. I think that's hypocritical. I want you to think about that. You looked into my heart based on your perspective of what Christians are all about. You concluded that Christians are hypocrites. And so now you're judging me, I'm going to be on the side with men. I'm going to surprise you. I also think men and women, by the way, are hypocrites to judge gay people when they're committing sexual sin. I say that to my church all the time. I deal with far more heterosexual sin in the church by far, by far, than homosexual sin men watching pornography and by the way it's not just men anymore this is an increasing problem for women and the women are getting younger and younger and younger with the access that we have to pornography Uh, it's becoming a normal thing high school and junior high school students boyfriends and girlfriends watching pornography together and when those people are professing Christians then I agree with you completely they are the worst kind of hypocrites and rather than looking out they ought to be looking in and letting the Lord speak to their hearts it's never okay to commit fornication it's never okay to have sex with somebody you're not married to whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin it's never okay so I'm going to take sides here, but my side is going to be with Jesus. It's that simple. And too often, and this is, I think, your situation, Anonymous, too often, rather than looking at Jesus, we take the easy way out and we look at the imperfect people in the church, we see their hypocrisy, and we justify that as a reason not to deal with God on our own. Anonymous, let me say this last thing to you. You need Jesus. He loves you. He is the one who created the process by which you were born. He wants you to serve Him and love Him. And He doesn't forbid sexual behavior because He doesn't want us to have fun. He forbids it because he knows there's only one way that we can have a sexual relationship and honor him in the process. And I'm going to surprise you with this as well. I think God is far harder on these men and women who are committing sexual sin or watching pornography. I think God is far harder on them than you could ever be. You know, they can put on a good face. But when you're guilty of sin sinning against the God that loves you, you know He loves you, especially if you're a professing Christian, you call Him Lord. It breaks His heart like nothing else. So you need to be careful not to judge yourself. Jesus died for your sins. He loves you. He has so much more for you than you can possibly imagine. And all you have to do... Is agree with him, and when you live life following Jesus, it'll be richer and fuller than you ever imagined. Here is an, an, another anonymous question, Pastor Ron. I want to be married, but have been single for more than twenty years. Do you have any advice about how to balance my desire in life? Uh, anonymous, I, I in, in these questions of balance, and I'm a big balance guy. But but in serving the Lord, there can be no balance. The only way you can deal with this is to give everything to Jesus. Give him this desire. You've got to get to the place, and this will be hard for you to hear, but you've got to get to the place where you can say, Lord, thy will, not my will be done with this issue of being married. If you've been wrestling with it for 20 years, I might suggest that you look in your heart. If you ever really said, Lord, you know what's best for me. I want what you want. And we can say that honestly. Even though we want something, we can say, I want what you want for me instead of what I want for me because what you want is better. And so there's no balance. You've got to throw everything in to Jesus. As a single woman, you can Uh, and I'm assuming you're single but that may not be the case so I I just reread the 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 question as a single man or woman um, you may have made being married a bigger priority in your life and heart than Jesus is you may have spent all your time and energy on trying to find someone when God simply says how about you come to me let me find somebody for you I can say this. Um, The desire to be married is a good desire. It's a godly desire. But if our priorities get out of order, then God is simply trying to prepare us so that He can fulfill the desires of our heart. God's not going to trick you with this desire to be married, but what you've got to do is you've got to say, Jesus... I'm yours no matter what. Paul tells the ladies here all the time that Jesus is is their husband. And if Jesus is your husband, you won't be dissatisfied at all. And then as you follow Jesus, giving everything you've got to him, he'll lead you to that place where your prayers, the desire of your heart can be answered. Focus on Jesus, focus on what you do have, rather than what you don't have. Now this has nothing to do with my Bible study tonight, but but I'm going to talk about the one thing that we don't have often causes us to be less than grateful for all the stuff that we do have. And I, I, I know you want to be married, but think about what God has done for you. Think about all the prayers that He's answered. Are you going to turn away because he's withheld this one answer in fact instead go to him trying this just say Lord you know I want to be married but I'm done trying on my own if you want me to be married then I want to be married I'm going to wait till you bring somebody into my life and I promise you that's an exercise in faith and the Bible says when we walk in faith God is so pleased Hebrews 11, 6 puts it in the negative. Without faith, it's impossible. Please, God. But in a situation like this, when you just say, Jesus, I've learned to be content in my singleness. Paul said he learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. If you can do that, that one step will get you closer to being married than anything you've tried in the last 20 years. Of that, I can promise you. Another thing I want to promise you, whether you're a man or a woman, You do not want to be married to somebody that God doesn't want for you. So Anonymous, thanks for calling. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio. Cindy, you're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I've got a couple of... Hi. Um, I've got a couple things, and what is the difference between a synagogue and the temple, and did Jesus teach in both of them? And also, would he have worn a prayer shawl with tassels on it? And I'm still not quite done thinking about that woman who touched the hem of his garment. Why would she touch just, why would she touch the hem and, and risk you know if they 're in a big crowd, having people trip over her opposed to just you know kind of getting up alongside of them and, and uh, touch the sleeve of, of his um, his garment, so those are all my questions, and I hope to make it to our study tonight i 'm going to get off the phone and listen to you bye thank you, Cindy. God bless uh, jesus we don 't have um, um, any specific reference Him teaching in a synagogue a synagogue is just small the, the temple was um, the, the, the home central for, for, for Jews um, not only the religious part of the life but the economic part of the life it was the place that their culture and society um, revolved around but Jesus um, spent a lot of his time at the temple Um, but the temple was in Jerusalem. That was the only place. So in other places, there would be synagogues, and there had to be at least 10 Jews in a place in order to start a synagogue. You'll find in the book of Acts, they'll find people at the river, Jews at the river, praying. That's just because there wasn't enough of them to to make up a synagogue. So uh, Jesus was, in fact, um, I'm sure, would have visited some synagogues. Um, We know that Paul did regularly. As did the other disciples, uh, the apostles, um, so that's the explanation for that Cindy. Um, um, Jesus didn't wear customary Jewish dress for rabbis he wasn't interested in in uh, Getting attention, he wasn't interested in impressing anybody. Jesus just would have worn. He was always on the move, and, and the the hem of his robe that she would have touched would have been just the hem without the tassels. Jesus would have worn a shawl when he went into the the um, the the temple to pray. Uh, it's just something that he uh, he would have done because that was the custom of the day. Good questions, and Tonight's Bible study is going to be really good one. Let's go to Dorian on line two. Dorian, thanks for calling and thanks for holding. you on the air.
0: Uh, thank you. My um, question is, uh, I answered it for my son, but what does uh, God the Father look like was a question my son asked. And I mm-hmm. and I explained to him that it was was uh, as far as God the Father sending his son and the son and the father being one, three persons, Meaning the Father, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Trinity, but but God the Father sending the Son, and the Son being the image of God the Father. But I was wondering if you can expound on that. And I was going to listen on the radio.
1: I can, Dorian. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful question. Tell your son, I love his curiosity. Um, a couple of things. Jesus in his his um, interaction with the woman in Samaria, uh, Samaria, the woman at the well. Uh, he said um, God is a spirit and those who worship him he's looking for worshipers who would worship him in spirit and in truth so God the Father doesn't have a physical form like Jesus did Jesus is the one who became a man Jesus is the one who who had a body like our body the Father is a spirit and obviously we can't imagine what a spirit would look like that's why it was necessary Dorian for Jesus to reveal the Father to the people. You know, we can think about a spirit. Now I, I'm going. This is going to be silly sounding, but when I first got saved, and I had no Christian background at all when I got saved, um, I would try to imagine what God the Father looked like, and 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 in my mind, because I knew He was a spirit, all I could think of was like this green mist. And I remember one day just crying out, like, "How can I get?" Intimate with a green mist, and, and the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and he said, That's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus is said to be the exact image of God. Think about this Dorian. The image there is a Greek word icon. If God the Father looked in a mirror, and if he could see an image, that image would be Jesus. That's the image he would see. Jesus came Philip, don't you know, I've, after I've been with you so long that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. is the exact image and representation of God the Father in righteousness and in holiness. But of the Father, Son, and Spirit, only the Son has physicality. Only the Son is to be viewed through a human lens. And uh, in fact, we're told about God the Father that He lives in unapproachable light. So if we were to approach God the Father, all we would see is this impossible light. It's a light that that blinded Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Uh, And we couldn't see anything. Um, And yet Jesus, when he came, he gave us the ability not only to know God, but to see him. I'm always um, enthralled by Job. Job said, uh, before I'd only heard about you, but now I have seen you. Job saw Jesus. We know that Isaiah, from John chapter 12, we know that Isaiah the prophet saw Jesus. So every Old Testament appearance of God, whether it's to Gideon or to Samson's parents or or any of the other pre-incarnate appearances, it was always Jesus. Abraham saw Jesus. Jesus and Abraham saw my day. And, and um that it was all Jesus so the only way that we can know God is to know Jesus and when we've seen Jesus we have the full perfect representation Paul writes the radiance of God Jesus is the radiance of his glory so Dorian that's who he is that's what he looks like uh, that describes his character It's also why, and maybe this will help your son as well, instead of talking to God, instead of praying to God, talk to and pray to Jesus. That's how the relationship gets really, really personal. It's like before you knew somebody, but you only knew them from a distance, and they were a stranger. Jesus became a friend so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Good questions. Good questions. Tell your son I'm really proud of him. That's great. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Dale. He said, I'm called to be a pastor, but how do I determine where to go? How did you decide on San Antonio? Uh, Dale, I wish Paula was here today because she could tell you that was not our decision at all. Um, uh, when I was called to San Antonio, I, I, I'm I'm silly this way, but I remember the date, March 4th, 1994. I was at Bible College and I was out on the mountain taking a walk with the Lord before classes and anything started that day. Happened to be a beautiful sunny day. It was cold. There was still some snow on the ground. But I was just walking along with the Lord and, and uh, it was one of those moments where I knew he was going to share something special with me. And um, he spoke to my heart. Now, it wasn't audible, but it was as profound, Dale, as though it were. And here's what he said to me. Begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. That's all he said. I didn't even say why. He just made it so clear, begin praying for the people of San Antonio, Texas. And I remember it was so profound when I got back to my, my dorm room, I got my Bible out. I still, I'll never throw this Bible away because right in the beginning, I wrote March 4th, 1994, God told me to begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. So I didn't decide, Dale, we'd never been to San Antonio, we, we didn't know anybody in San Antonio, and we had no desire to live in Texas. But God chose for me, and then Paul and I had to work through it because she didn't understand it. Uh, and yet, um, we know it was the perfect will of God, and and we would have missed out on um, more than I can adequately communicate. Had we decided, no, I want to go somewhere else. If God would have let me choose, Dale, I would have chosen Phoenix. I love Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a desert rat. I love the desert. Paul and I lived in in, uh, in, in Phoenix and Mesa for uh, nearly 12 years. We liked it there. And I would have gone there. But see, God didn't give me a choice. Now, I say all of that, Dale, because He won't give you a choice either. So here's what you do. You're called to be a pastor. It's a great, great job. It's a wonderful living. It's uh, By living, I don't mean money, but it's, it's just a wonderful, rich life. Um... So you start making an effort. You start taking the steps to be a pastor. And instead of worrying about where you're going to pastor, you just wait till you get direction from the Lord. I've got a pastor right now, a young know, man that I love with all of my heart, who's, who's in Washington State uh, over spring break just trying to figure out if God's leading him to somewhere else. That's how we planted all of our churches here. And um, that's what will happen. So how do you take steps to be a pastor? Well, first, Dale, you devour the Word. you got to love the Word. Um, I mean, you've got to love the Word. It's, it's the Jesus you're in love with, the Jesus who's called you. His Word is going to be the most essential thing in your life. His presence is sweeter but if you don't know the Word, you won't know His presence. So start doing that. Um, wherever you go to church, Dale, um, let people know that, hey, I'm called to be a pastor if I can help in any way. I'll teach kids, I'll teach men, I'll teach um, anything, just let me know. I'll start at the bottom and work up and serve. The other thing you need to start doing to prayer is there you've got to love God's people. You can't have a short temper with them. You can't get frustrated or impatient. you got to love them. Let God see you. Let others see you doing pastoral work. I've had very few of my pastors, either the ones we've sent out or the ones that remained here on staff, very few of them have come in to me and said, you know, I'm called to be a pastor. Um, they just, in the process of being called to be a pastor, started doing pastoral ministry. And I could watch it, and when they came and said, yeah, I think I'm called to be a pastor, I could say, well, I think so too. And then I promise you, you start serving where you are. You fall in love with God's Word. You start sharing Jesus with people, Dale. That's also important. When you start sharing Jesus with people, I promise you, that God will give you direction. All you have to do is be patient and wait, and the whole time you're waiting, God is doing an amazing work in you to prepare you for the work that He wants to do through you. Dale, give me a buzz when you know, and we'll kind of praise the Lord together. That's a great, great question. We're inside, I think, four minutes now, so let me get to uh, maybe the final questions from Gary. How can you talk to someone who says they're a Christian but lives a partying partying lifestyle? Um, Gary, not how can you, but you got to talk to them. Somebody who says they're a Christian and they're doing things that are very un like then the way you talk to them is to say, look, you say you're a Christian, but how would anybody know based on the life that you're living? You're living a partying lifestyle, drinking, you're doing drugs, you're having sex with people. You think, you can be a Christian and do those kind of things. And let the Lord use you. Now you might lose a friend if this person's a friend, but you gotta be willing to risk that. That's another part for Dale of being called to be a pastor. You've got to be able to be willing to risk relationships to tell the truth in love. I would show them Galatians chapter five and First Corinthians chapter six: People who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, how do you explain now that you're a Christian? And they may rebel. They may say, "Oh, you're legalist." Doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit. I promise you, Gary. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will use you. And when you're done talking to Him, if He's angry with you, you the Holy Spirit's not going to leave leave them alone so here's what you do you just say people that live like you live are not Christians I was just dealing with somebody who was abusing his wife and he's a Christian or so I was told and my response to him was Christians don't beat their wives if you're a Christian you can't do that it's that simple if you continue to do that you're not a Christian and so, Gary, you got to be direct with people. you got to be direct with them. And this person's um, eternal future is at stake. So love them enough to tell them the truth in love. We've got one minute. I can't take a question, so I have to figure out something to talk about in a minute. Remember tomorrow our date-day edition with Paula and the ladies from the retreat. That will be worthwhile. We'd love to have your calls and questions. Tonight I'm going to be teaching from Genesis chapter 3 where it all started. All of the problems in our world started right there. It's from Genesis chapter 3 forward in the Bible that God is in the process of fixing what we broke. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate the phone calls. You are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back, Paula and I, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4